Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Okay, now at this point into our conversation, it always does me great pleasure to be able to introduce our guest co-host. This is a way for us to get um, really proximate to um, our guest co-host for the week to understand a bit more about um, her experience. And so I'm going to read her bio. And um, I do this every week because I want people to know the credentials, the accolades, the experience in which our guest co-host is actually showing up to the conversation. So give me an opportunity to do that at this time. Dr. Marilyn Frazier is the Chief Executive Officer at the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health. And when I reference it going forward, I may just say the Institute, but know that I'm referring to the Arthur Ashe Institute. She is a research associate professor in both the Department of Medicine and the School of Public Health, SUNY Downstate Health Sciences University, which is also the State University of New York, and the co-director of the Brooklyn Health Disparity Center. As a co-lead of an investigative research team supported by several NIH and CDC grants, Dr. Frazier helped develop behavioral health intervention models and training curricula for the Institute's award-winning Black Pearls and different phase of health programs. The Institute's community outreach programs prepare hairstylists and barbers to educate their clients about various health topics, including breast, prostate, and colorectal cancer, cardiovascular disease, HIV and AIDS, risk reduction. I love that. We're going to unpack that because how many of us have all of these great conversations right in the chair where we're, where we're getting our services at a barbershop or at a hairstylist. And so I love that connection point. And we're going to unpack that. She also served as the co-PI principal investigator in conducting the Institute's access project to increase access to health and social services for formerly incarcerated individuals in Brooklyn. Guyanese-born Dr. Frazier is a graduate of the Spartan Health Sciences University School of Medicine in St. Lucia, and she did her medical training in the West Indies, Mexico, and the United States. She has received numerous awards for her leadership in health, including most recently the CUNY, which stands for the City University of New York. Um, School of Medicine's 2021 Strong Women in Medicine. She regularly presents her work at scientific meetings nationally and internationally and is a co-author on several publications and a book chapter. Dr. Frazier's deep interest in addressing health disparities and improving health outcomes in communities of color also allows her to serve as an expert advisory board member with the NYC Diabetes Prevention Project. And so if you've been with us for quite some time, you know that what I ask you to do at this moment is to find those accolades, those emojis, those, those reactions, whatever it is, but find them and let's help welcome our guest co-host for today. I'm gonna bring her into the spotlight. Um, and I am so grateful that you're here with us, Dr. Frazier. One of the things that we do here uh, as tradition before we release our guest co-host to greet the audience in their own way is we do ask that they share something with this community that perhaps is something we wouldn't know by reading your bio or even maybe from visiting your LinkedIn profile. And so this is a time for you to help create some deeper connections with this community, but we would love for you to share anything that feels comfortable and appropriate to you at this time. Welcome. Oh, welcome. Thank you so much. It's, it's wonderful being here. One of the things that I, I think that people might not know about me is that I like to play badminton. And, <laughs> and I, I, I like the game. I've not played it a lot. And I had the opportunity to visit one of my friends uh, in the Netherlands. And I said, yeah, I wanted to play badminton. Uh, and, and I got beaten really, really badly. And so I came <laughs> back to New York and I started taking badminton lessons. And right. so taking lessons, so you know, for the next um round, the, the next matchup. I love that. Now, is that because of the competitive nature in you, or is it because maybe you also see badminton as something as a stress reliever, as a way to you know get that exercise in, or maybe it's all of the above? I'm always curious yeah. as to what so, motivates yeah. to take something on as a hobby or pastime. So yeah, I I, I prefer not to to um, say that it's a competitive nature. <laughs> I prefer not to say that, but thanks for, you know, 
kind of cleaning it up for me. So I'll say the exercise and the pastime, it's it's really um a grueling sport actually uh, that I, I didn't know it was that much involved, but it, it is something that's really good in terms of exercise. But yeah, there's a competitive nature that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the competitive nature. For those of you who are familiar with Gallup Strength Finders, co competition is in my top five. And so um, I embrace it. I think that it makes me go harder sometimes. But nonetheless, um, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I want to give you an opportunity to share a bit more about your journey and your story. So what led you to the work that you do now? Is there a backstory behind the connection points that allowed you to be pretty definitive in this is the direction, this is my life's calling and purpose. And I know that this is what I want to do. Share that story with us. Oh, yeah. So even in medical school, going through my medical um, education, I really like connecting with patients and explaining things and talking to them because I felt as though oftentimes uh, patients didn't get that space to talk about their issues. And even when you think about our healthcare system now, it's really fast-paced and people go into a doctor's office and there's just a minimal amount of time to talk. And right. when I was finishing my, my medical degree, I did not know where I wanted to be in terms of a specialty. I thought people would always say, oh, you know what, you should be a psychiatrist because psychiatry came easy. To me to talk to people and and, and really listen uh, but the the actual practical portion of it was was really hard for me um, emotionally I thought that this is really tough and I, I wasn't sure what what I wanted to do and my preceptor said okay there are options you have you can go into doing research in in hypertension or there's this other organization that's doing some work around breast cancer and so I went to the hypertension work and they, they didn't have any funding to actually hire someone to work with them. And, and I went to the breast cancer work and that was at the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health. And mm. they decided that at, at that time they were developing a curriculum to train hairstylists to talk to their customers about breast cancer. And I went out into the community and connected with the community and did a lot of the education because I had a medical background. I could uh, participate in the development of the curriculum. And I just went out into the community and I really loved it. I really loved talking to people about health. And, and the other portion of the work that resonated with me was our Health Science Academy work. This is for students that are interested in the health professions. And yeah. I thought, oh my goodness, if I had that when I was growing up, it would have been something that, that, that would have been tremendous. And I got to the opportunity to teach some of those students. So mm -hmm. th all of those pieces came together in a way that I would never have imagined. And you know, 20 years later, I'm at the Institute. I started out as a coordinator. I and then went to develop um, some of the programs for the Institute, the outreach programs. Um, went on to be the deputy um, director to our former CEO. And then when she resigned, I was placed in the position of CEO. So it's been a nice journey along the way because I, I know a lot about the Institute from different aspects. And I re it, it resonates with me. All the different things that we're doing really resonate um, well with me. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. And it's important to feel a sense of calling and enjoyment and fulfillment from the work that we do, especially when the work is really um, mission critical. And I would definitely say that helping people to be as healthy as they can is absolutely mission critical. And, and that's why I'm really interested for us to talk a little bit more about the Arthur Ashe Institute, because while we may have heard that name before, we know of the Institute, I'm not sure everyone is deeply familiar with how it came into, into existence and who Arthur Ashe is and why this is so important important to um, communities that often are marginalized, like, you know, Black, Indigenous, other people of color. And so I would love for you to talk about the goals and the mission of the Institute and, and why they are important to BIPOC communities. Oh, yeah. So um, Arthur Ashe, um, the, um, the Institute was one of the last charities at Arthur Ashe. He was a tennis champion. In addition to being a tennis champion, being a humanitarian and activist, mm. he founded the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health just two months before he passed away. And when, and, and when he founded the Institute, he wanted to create a, a place where we can address health inequities, re recognizing that although he had his celebrity, there were certain things that his celebrity status, there were certain things that he couldn't get also. And, 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 and healthcare was not always accessible to, to people. And so he wanted to 
create the institute where we would conduct research, we would go out into the community and, and provide community education prevention uh -huh. that people can um, know more about them, their health and, and they could understand that. Also, he was interested in not only the health within our country, but the countries from which immigrants came and what the yeah. healthcare systems were like there. Uh, and, in, and so research was key to him that we were doing community education, but also doing research, uh, publishing on disseminating that research. And he was really interested in making sure that the, the healthcare workforce was diversified. So we do that through our Health Science Academy, which students of color that are interested in the health professions we started out with high school students, and these are students from ninth through um, 12th grade. Mm -hmm. They come to the institute, they learn about anatomy, physiology, they get to do different things, dissections and all of those kinds of, of things. And then we we went back a little bit earlier on in the, to the pipeline to the middle school students so that they can be, to learn a little bit more about, about health. So the sixth graders get a general health message, yeah. they, the seventh graders get sports medicine, eighth graders get forensic sciences. And so we're trying to create a pipeline so that our students could go through high school, go to college and, and be better prepared. And one of the reasons for the Health Science Academy is that a lot of students of color are bright and, and they do well in high school. And when they go and they, they wanna go into the sciences and when they go to college, they're weeded out in the first year. Yeah. And it's not yeah. that they're not bright or, or, or they cannot do it. A lot of social issues happen. You know, we, we face all these different things that we don't think about um, discrimination that, that students um, face and they're not prepared. Financial hardship that makes students worry about even paying um, for, for school and paying for college. And we know a lot of those students, once they go through that pipeline, they come back into the communities from which they came and they serve in, in those communities. So Arthur Ashe was really keen on those things, community engagement. He was also uh, the health sciences, making sure that students of color were in the health professions, as well as uh, partnerships, partnering with key organizations. So we partner with a consortium of over 70 community-based organizations. We partner with our barbers, our stylists, faith-based institutions. And, and those partnerships are strategic so that people, we can provide education, but also link people to services. Because when we think about services, we think about those social services that impact our health, whether people have housing, whether yes. people have food, food access, access to care, whether they're insured, all of those different things, whether they have transportation, childcare, all of these different things that impact our health and, and the stress that we face. And then finally, one of the, the key aspects of our work is policy. Because we can do all this work if we don't change the systems that that create these inequities, right. then things just stay stay the same. So working with legislators and working with with community boards and others to make sure that policy is impacted. So those were the things that Arthur had in, in vision, and those are the things that we are doing, and those are those are the things that are important as we think about making our communities more healthy and also impacting the health so that we can have better health outcomes. Yeah, there's so much that you said, um, Dr. Marilyn, as you were sharing about the, the Institute, and I just want to kind of amplify some of those points, because what stood out to me is the holistic approach in which the Institute, um, you know, thinks about um, driving towards impact, right? Because I, I talk a lot about impact over activity. There's a keen difference. And so what I'm hearing as you describe all these different initiatives and programs is impact. We're getting to the root causes. We're peeling back all the layers and really identifying where mm -hmm. there are opportunities for us to drive towards impact so that we can sustain this work. And one of the things that I heard is um, the social determinants of health. And you mentioned several examples, you know, and I think that is critical. Sometimes we don't realize how um, other circumstances can also impact one's access to, to, to health, quality health. I also love the, the collective um, collaboration. You know, you talked about the faith-based community and talked about professionals that are in kind of, you know, the, the hairstyling and the, and the barber kind of seats. And I think that's important. And we're going to unpack that a little bit further because um, I want to understand exactly how you all came to realize that this is um, a great place and space to talk about these things. 
um, in a very intentional way. And then, um, Dr. Frazier, you also mentioned the importance of your story was, I wanted people to see someone that looks like them, that's doing this work, that's educated in this space, and so that they also can believe that this is this can be part of their trajectory. So I think that's great, and I love the fact that the Institute has a pipeline that does not just look at those who are entering into college, because sometimes that is too late. People have already, in many regards, made a decision about what career path they want to pursue. But we're talking about introducing this in high school, and you even mentioned middle school, and I think that is so critical. And so I am, I'm just grateful for all the different ways that the Institute is really leaning into um, creating that impact and doing it in a way where it can be sustained. So I would love for you to give us a little bit more in-depth information about the inception of um, the program, like the Barbershop Talk um, with the brothers, and then there's also a Heart of a Woman. So talk about those programs. Yeah, so it, as you said, those spaces are so important, right? Meeting the communities where they are, meeting people where they are in terms of going out into community settings, uh, barbershops and salons, we visit those places and we talk about everything. Yes. <laughs> barbers and stylists, they talk about everything. And the stylists and barbers are oftentimes the counselors that, that we have in, in, in our communities. They, they listen to us, they know us, and, and some people have such a long history. <laughs> with, yeah, with, with their barbers and their stylists. So we thought about how do we in, integrate health messages within in, within the, those contexts, right? Or, or, or barbers or stylists, they're talking about health in a certain way, right? Because they really want their, their, whether it's your hair, they know that whether it's doing well, that you're eating right. And it's like, okay, your hair is falling out. What are you doing? You need to do something else. What they, they are there and they're, they're so close to you in terms of like a conversation. And, mm -hmm. and so we decided to ask them, like, how do we weave healthcare into those messages that you are giving naturally. So we 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 would go into the barbershops and, and this is before my time or my predecessors, they would go into the barbershops and they would do a general health session. They'll have a clinician come in and you know they'll talk about heart disease or HIV or, any, or, or whatever health issue. And the barbers and stylists said, after you guys leave, the conversations get more in involved and we want to be able to steer those conversations. We want to be able to be the ones that can guide the conversations and provide the information. So we decided to develop curriculum for barbers and stylists so that they can develop, so that they can deliver these health messages. And the curriculum was culturally tailored. We came, we asked them what we should use, what things we should, the colors, all these kinds of things, um, um, how we should present the message. And the, our first curriculum was one that was on breast health. And wow. even when we were doing that curriculum for the stylist, at first we were talking about preventing breast cancer. And that was the brochure that we showed them. And they said, our customers are going to shy away from it because people feel negative when they think about the word cancer. And, yeah. and so we changed preventing breast cancer to promoting breast health. And mm. this is because the, the, the community, they're the ones that tell you what, what they need and it's just pay, spending the time and listening to them. So that's how we started that program. And it was um, our, our female, the ones for our salons and then the one for our barbers. And we did a barbershop based program that was focused on HIV and it was barbershop talk with brothers. Now we use that for all of our barbershop programs. And we do, in addition to HIV, in AIDS, we talk about heart health, we talk about prostate cancer, yeah. and, and we talk about a whole host of things within the context of a, of a barbershop. And likewise, for the salons, we do cardiovascular disease, our Heart of a Woman project. It started out with cardiovascular disease, but we have incorporated all the different diseases um, in there. Right now, we are focusing on mental health, especially yes. post-COVID. And we are focusing a lot, a lot on that. So that's how we started with hearing from our barbers and stylists and, and knowing that it's a nice setting for people to talk and discuss things that are in a way that's non-threatening. It's they they a lot of stylists and barber, a lot of stylists and barbers say that they're the, the, the counselors within the community. And people trust their stylists and barbers probably more yes. than they trust going to their medical doctor and asking questions of their medical doctor. Yeah, I love the creativity and innovation of just driving towards impactful solutions of 
generating awareness and education. And, and I'm so glad that members of those communities, you know, the barbers and then the hairstylists were willing to actually um, leverage those relationships to be able to help be a conduit of this type of information. I'm big on language. I think language matters. And so the fact that the group was also able to influence how in which you are um, instructing and encouraging these barbers and hairstylists to talk about it. You mentioned that it's, it's about promoting breast health. And I just, I think that's fabulous. Yes, I think it's, I think it's so wonderful. And um, what I also believe is that you know, these individuals are not clinicians. They're not in the space of understanding all of the scientific, you know, ins and outs to be completely accurate and how in which they talk about it. But the fact that you all at the Institute are providing the tools and the resources for them to at least speak intelligently as they are providing a level of awareness to their clients, I think is, 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 is great. Um, and so tools are, are really important. Um, you also have a program called Access, and it's the Access Project. And so I would love for you to share with this community about the Access Project and how it has been really pivotal, Dr. Marilyn, in increasing access to health and social services for formerly incarcerated individuals in the Brooklyn area. Oh, yeah. So years ago, when we started the Access Project, we wanted to pay attention to people that were returning into our communities. Um, we had what were, there was a report that called certain areas million dollar blocks. And the million yeah. dollar blocks were not blocks that were wealthy, that people were having the wealth there. It was like, that's that's the amount of money that's spent to incarcerate, right? Oh, people yeah. in communities of color. And so when we th think about those areas that are, disproportionately affected with health issues and, and areas that are affected by poverty and so on. And yet they're term million dollar blocks because that's the amount that's spent to build prisons, that's the amount that's spent to incarcerate our, our, our young men and women. And, and, and so we went into those communities and we developed a project uh, that would increase and improve access to care, health care, but also access to social services for people that are formerly incarcerated. Interestingly enough, when we did a focus group with our barbers, I would say seven out of our eight barbers in, in average had a history of incarceration, were formerly incarcerated. And, 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 and barbering was one of the few professions that people can get that they can a few licenses that they can get with a, a history of incarceration so it was important for us to talk to our, our barbers about about health because a lot of people when they return to the communities come back to the barbershops they come back to those um, areas right. that they're familiar with and and we wanted to make sure that people returning into a community had health, it had health information, also information to services, whether it's employment services, again, insurance and different things that they can be linked to, to various communities. So when we went into these barbershops and also did some work in the salons under the access project, we were focusing on HIV and AIDS, which people told us that that's something that we needed to pay attention more to in, in that community, focusing on cardiovascular disease, as well as stress management, because the stress that our communities face on average is extremely high. And we know that stress impacts other health issues, whether it's cardiovascular disease, your heart disease, diabetes, all of these things, you have a, such a, a stress base that, that happens there. And, and, and even more so now with everything that we see on, on everything that we see <laughs> regularly within our communities, uh, we, we, the things that our, our communities experience, the stress level it gets even higher and we need to pay attention to those. So that's what the Access Project um, was about. Right now, we, we haven't um, worked on it as a separate project. Everything is pretty much integrated into our other projects, recognizing that we have within our communities large number of people that were formerly incarcerated. So it's, it's really important to, to make sure that people are linked to services and people have the care that they need and access to that care. Absolutely. And I love that there's great intentionality around that specific population of folks who have been incarcerated. It saddens me, and this is the first time that I've heard language like million dollar blocks. And so if it's the first time that I'm hearing it, then obviously I was not familiar with why it's referred to as the million dollar blocks. And so as you so eloquently share with us, it's because that those are the dollars that are being spent 
on prisons within those areas. That is jarring. And as I hear you share those stories, Dr. Marilyn, and I think about um, the profession of being a barber and the fact that a lot of those individuals have, you know, passed um, time spent being incarcerated, because I didn't realize that that was a license that did not require um, to not have, you know, that as part of your, your history, your record. But my level of appreciation and value for, for barbers and hairstylists in general, just because of this conversation has increased exponentially. Now, I know that I, as a Black woman, you know, because we care about our hair, right? I have so much appreciation for the craft and the trade and just the relationship building. But when I think about how in which um, those individuals are also such important points of being a conduit of really important information, right? Um, you know, as you mentioned, the word counselor has been used. I've heard people use the word therapist before. And so um, not to be, um, you know, certainly traded out for the, the, the therapists who've gone through the medical training, but we do get a lot of our information from sitting in those chairs. And so I just wanted to acknowledge the um, the heightened level of appreciation that this conversation is giving me for those. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge, because we've mentioned, you know, breast health a couple times, that October is breath you know, breast cancer awareness month. And so we usually put that into our rotation as we're sharing some of the different national observances. And, um, and you also mentioned the word stress. There's so much to unpack with that word stress. One of the things you and I were talking about before we went live at the top of the hour was that this time of year, um, we have to pay even more close attention to how stress is impacting our bodies. Because when we consider that people are holding so much, you know, as we get closer to the holidays, people are grieving loved ones. Maybe they're grieving the fact that there's some strained relationships and, you know, they're thinking it's not going to be the same when we all convene or come together, or maybe we won't, you know, for the holidays. We also have to consider that some people could be displaced from their family members and may not be able to see them. Some people are grieving the fact that it is getting close to the end of the year, and I have not met any of my goals that I set mm -hmm. out for. And so maybe they're feeling bad about themselves. And so there's a multitude of things. And then you add the social complex issues that we are being exposed to every single day, the mass shootings. I mean, the list goes on and on. We're holding a lot and certainly it's impacting our mental health. And as you've shared, um, that stress also can lead to other physical um, elements in our bodies. And so I'm curious, um, what are you sharing with people, um, particularly as, again, we think about this time of year, for leaning into radical self-care and um, taking responsibility for our well-being in a way that allows um, us to show up at our best, even during the times where stress can be really high? Yeah, Anika, that's um, such an important uh, thing to talk about because um, oftentimes we are caring for others, right? And, and we feel as though for us to take a pause and, and, and to care for ourselves, we sometimes feel guilty to do that. And, yeah. and even having people to have the permission feel as though they are permitted to take care of themselves because you have to take care of yourself so that you can show up for others. Because when, when things are just drained out of you and you're pouring into others and you're empty, you need to be refilled and you really need to make sure that you are taking time for self-care. Um, for some people, it may be meditation. For some people, um, going to a therapist and, and, see, and, and, and actually talking to somebody about what they're going through. Oftentimes in our communities, we feel um, that... Mental health, mental wellness is um, something that's um, stigmatized, right? And so for me to go to seek a counselor means that I'm not strong enough. I couldn't deal with it on my own. And, and so we are trying to change that narrative to tell people it's okay. It's okay to admit that you are stressed. It's okay to admit that we, we are in a, a society that is stressful. So it's unfortunately it's become so normalized that we deal as people of color, we deal with stress all the time and we don't think we are stressed because it's part of our, our life. And, and it's like, okay, what, you know, I, I have to, to work. I have to take care of our children. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's just part of my life and, and we have normalized yeah. it, but it is, a time for us to pause, right? There are so many things that that people are going going through. In addition to yes, as the seasons change, some people with it getting darker earlier. People yes. get more depressed. People the the leaves fall off the trees. You you, you get more <laughs> depressed. You get more anxiety, and you can't wait for the winter to be over, right? Because of the darkness and all of that. And on top of that, you add all the social issues that are going on. You, as you mentioned, even the shootings that we hear more about now 
um, than, than, than before. And, 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 and all of those things that are, that are going on, but telling people to find the time to relax, find the time to retreat sometimes, just having quiet time. One of the things that we have done in the barbershops and salons, we have created spaces where people can just talk and we have guided those spaces. We've had um, a, a social worker come in. We have done this paint and heal. So people paint, sometimes people use clay to create little things as a superheroes and we go through those different uh, topics with people. And then on, on the 30th of this month, we'll have a mental health symposium that talks about mm -hmm. non-traditional ways to address mental health using music. You, using yes. poetry, using all of these things that we have naturally done as a people, but sometimes we don't because we don't go back to the, to doing those things, D using drumming, beats, whatever, and prayer, and, and all of these things that as communities of color, we, we ought automatically have, and, and for everyone also to, to utilize those, those things that we have traditionally used to calm, over, calm over ourselves and, and, and go back to a place that, that is quieter and a place that we can listen and share and, and, and having conversations with each other. COVID has kind of like put us into these little yeah. cocoons and so on, but coming back, uh, 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 coming back together, that's important too. And, and having um, a, a social network that you can tap into, those things are important. Yeah, such great suggestions. I mean, community can um, certainly play a big role in helping to um, relieve some stress on us because we know that we are supported, right? And I'm also hearing of a lot of organizations how in which they're leaning into well-being and radical self-care, which is promoting these um, days off where people can engage in some type of community volunteerism. And, you know, on the surface, you may think, well, you're going to give me a day off to go work somewhere else. But really, the notion behind it is when we can decide what we are attaching ourselves to, we usually are going to pick something that's very purposeful for us, right? It's yes. something that we have an affinity to. It's something that fills our cup. And um, so when I think about community service, that can be very fulfilling when we have the ability to decide where we want to plant our time, talent, and treasures. And so um, I think that's a great idea. But whatever it is, what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Marilyn, is just be intentional. Sometimes we have to even plan for our, our self-care, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I love we that. We do have the plan. You know, like one of the things I was um, reading something, it says I'm spent 10 minutes just being quiet. Ah, yeah. Right. Just, um, not listening to anybody. Just being, it's like sometimes it's like, that's hard. Like when you try to do it for the first time, it's like, oh my goodness. I, it's so many things race in your mind and you want to talk about something. It's like, just, just stop. Mm, just stop. Exactly. Just stop and pause. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something that I have um, really paid a lot of attention to is I have been much more, um, you know, I guess akin to how radical self-care is, is so important, right, to showing up. Um, for the for for how we want to show up for others and for ourselves. And one of the things that I have really embraced is that radical self-care is a continual process, continual yes. process. It involves being intentional, being proactive with our decision to care for ourselves by engaging in different activities that can feed our well-being um, regularly in a way that allows us to prioritize ourselves and to put self-care needs before um, we're at a place to where we have nothing else left to give, right? What do they say? Put on your oxygen mask first. You know, Phil, you can't yes, pour from exactly. coffee. So if there's anyone in this community that's feeling that this is, um, you know, seemingly selfish to like put yourself first and make sure your well-being is 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 where it needs to be, I just want to encourage you that um, you can't be anything to anybody if you are completely depleted yourself. And so I think we need to also break the stigma that you know self-care is 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 selfish, um, selfish because it's not. It's actually selfless. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So much. So, and, and even exercising, you know, like going yes. for a walk, you know, going yes. out doing, yes. Yeah. It, it's yep. so important. Yep. yep. Absolutely. It is. It's very important. So I'm going to be shifting in just a moment to give this audience an opportunity to contribute to our conversation today, Dr. Frazier. And you can do so in a multitude of ways, one of which is if you're part of the Zoom community, you can use the raise hand feature that lets me know that I can call on you, I can add you to the spotlight and invite you to unmute yourself to share directly your question or your comment. 
Um, if you're just here kind of in an observatory capacity, but you do have some curiosities you wish to follow, you can place those questions into the chat and we will bring that into the discussion. If you're joining us on LinkedIn Live, you can go to the comment section and my team is really watching that area very closely and will bring your questions and comments over into this space as well. So while you percolate on maybe some of your questions and your comments that you would like to share, I'm gonna go to the next question, just give you time to, to formulate those thoughts. And uh, my next question, I'm still staying on this topic of mental health and I would love um, Dr. Marilyn for you to share, what do you see as the cultural aspect of mental health what's the connection so, point yeah so so dealing apart from the, um, the stigma in terms of um what we have gone through as um a people <laughs> and, and and thinking about um not wanting to deal with mental health because we have normalized it but i think uh, just as a people of color we've gone through a lot <laughs> over the we years have. <laughs> we have gone through a tremendous amount of um trauma that's still there and 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 it's and, and then you have things that have built onto that, right? Because we're still facing discrimination. There's still health inequities. There's still inequity. There's still yes. social injustices. So those things have kind of been compounded. And so you have this weathering and this layering effect of, of of different things, right? That we that we've gone through. So in terms of the cultural piece or the piece that has just been historic for us and the historical piece you have that 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 stresses have been uh compounded in uh, on us right and then you have in terms of uh, the cultural piece there are different cultural ways that we have dealt with stress over the years and over um generations and mm -hmm. and even um talking to each other sharing stories um coming together in groups um mm -hmm. meeting over food there there are different ways that we have dealt with with us laughter uh storytelling mm -hmm. and, and joking and all these different things music has been something that has been tremendous in terms of um culturally, right? And different yeah. people have utilized those. And, and so it's important for us to go back some to some of those things and make sure that uh, that we're okay with it. That you know, sometimes we deny our culture, deny who we are, and, and we need to go back to some of those traditional ways in, to address stress. I love that. And I think there's also something um, very soothing and comforting about familiarity, right? And so, yeah. you know, really connecting with our roots and our ancestors and our traditions and our culture, um, I can see how that could be um, really, um, really soothing and, and calming and a way to help us to manage our, our levels of stress. And so, okay, so Michael St. Clair, the second, has raised his hand. So I'm going to add you to the spotlight, Michael. I'm going to invite you to unmute yourself. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. What is your question or your comment? Okay, peace to everyone. Uh, you kind of answered it, but I want to try to see if you can add a little bit more about tools and resources that uh, people can take home with them. Because oftentimes when people work in the communities, they're fine. But when they go home and have to face themselves, they kind of get complacent. So mm -hmm. what kind of tools do you give people to stay positive and encourage them to do things at home when they're by themselves or whatever. Yeah, so that, that, thank you so much, uh, Mr. St. Clair, for that question. Uh, because um, oftentimes, as you said, you know, people hear about things, but how, what can they do? So even um, something as, this may not be simple for some people, but I'd say exercising is, is something that's so important when we're talking about stress. Even walking, I tell people, you know, walk 30 minutes a day, um, just if it's 15 minutes in one direction, fast pace, uh, 15 minutes the other. Take time to, this may sound corny, but take time to really smell the roses take time when you're going through the day to to uh, to understand things that are happening uh one of the things that i've always done and and, and I, I did before and, and try to practice thinking about the things that you're thankful for even mm -hmm. writing down something at the end of the day even five things that you're really thankful for and and it gives it shifts perspectives a little bit and and you just write those down the things that you're you're thankful for taking time to breathe taking time to breathe in and out just quiet time 
calling up friends, calling people, talking to, to, to people, encouraging others too. You know, Dr. Nika talk about um, sometimes going out into the community and helping others. Sometimes while you're helping others, so much gets poured back into you, right? And so those are things that, that you, you want to um, pay attention to. For people that may be so stressed that they need to seek someone, they need to reach out to, to a counselor, reach out into your communities to, to find out who may be counselors within the, the different networks that you're working with and talk to someone. Because those are all things like sometimes we don't want to do it, but little by little, we're paying attention to it. Even the things that we eat, right? Those yeah. things impact our health and impact how we feel. Carbs are good comfort food, but it, it is not really healthy for you. And it's like if you have more fruits and vegetables and so on, it helps you to feel better and less sluggish. And so even paying attention to those things, our diet, paying attention to exercise, talking to a counselor, uh, spending time for people that are people of faith, meditating, praying, uh, writing, journaling, sometimes sitting down and writing how you feel, right? Taking those things. So those are some of the tips that I would give people that are everyday tips that you can help that can help you to address like the stresses and so on that we have in, in in our lives. I love that. Those are some really great examples, Dr. Marilyn. And sometimes what I would also recommend people do is just take a moment to do a self-care assessment. You know, it's not something that we do often. It's not something that we really think about, but I think if we were to just take a moment, a clarity break to think about different aspects, whether it's our physical care, our psychological care, our emotional care, our spiritual care, relationship care, workplace professional care, and then just come up with a list of some practical things that we feel like we can align with that helps us to um, be much more intentional about the well-being. You gave so many, so many great examples. I will add to it, staying well hydrated. I also think being cognizant of our sleep, right? You know, we, we, yes. we need a number of hours of sleep. So how are we making sure that we get that? Um, I love the fact that you mentioned something as simple as noticing our breathing, right? That is, that is so important. And so uh, thank you so much, Michael, for your question. I appreciate you being here. And um, I hope that those of you who um, are a part of this community, you're taking note of some of these practical examples that Dr. Marilyn has shared. Okay, so I'm looking at the chat. I don't see any other hands raised at this moment. And so maybe you still are thinking of your questions. What I would like to do now, though, is go to another question that I have for you, Dr. Marilyn. Um, so again, we've talked a lot about the Institute, and I'm so impressed with all that the Institute does. With the vast scope of work being done by the Arthur Ashe Institute, what are the main challenges that you face in ensuring consistent and impactful outreach, and how do you overcome them? So um, one of the things as a nonprofit and for those that are part of nonprofits as well, it's always funding, right? Fund, making sure that you are fun, funded to do the work and to continue the work because the work is so important to the communities, but oftentimes communities are, are neglected and, and, and resources are not placed where they need to be placed. So funding is, is definitely a, a, an issue. Uh, the time, our, our staff is all oftentimes overspent because they're doing so much work with, with, with very little and making sure that even within our communities that we are doing self-care, right? That we are taking the right. time to do to do what, what we need to do. So we've instituted mental health days, like, you know, an extra mental health day each quarter so that you can take time off to just relax and, and be recharged and not do work, yes. <laughs> uh, so to speak. Uh, one of the other challenges uh, is even getting out there and, and promoting the work of the Institute that other people may know about it because um, you're doing so much and you may not even be able to write th these things and publish them. And when you're going to apply for federal funding from the NIH and National Institutes of Health or the CDC, you mm -hmm. need to make sure that you have publications. And sometimes that's, that's something that's difficult to do because timing doesn't allow that. But and, and just making sure that we're disseminating the work on different platforms. And so this opportunity to even talk about our work is something that's important to, to us. But one of the, the key things has been um, funding. And, and I think with working with others to promote the work, that has been helpful. That's something that how to, we have overcome some of that, those challenges by really promoting the work and having um, funding come to us as opposed to seeking. seeking Absolutely. It. 
Absolutely. So for those of you in this community, as you've been hearing about the wonderful ways in which the um, Arthur Ashe Institute is helping to create opportunities to diversify um, the science field, the, med the medicine field, and to educate the broader community, particularly those who are part of marginalized, underrepresented, I like to say underestimated communities, um, I would love for you to, we're going to place um, the link to the website in the chat. I would love for you to learn more, find ways, and perhaps that you can help contribute to the, the fundraising efforts of this organization that really is driving impact for so many of us. Uh, we only have a few moments left. There's another question that I'm really curious about. As I was reading your bio, I talked about the fact that you've spent a lot of time um, in medic medical training, not only in um, the School of Medicine in St. Lucia, but then also you have um, practice in West Indies, Mexico. So when you think about your experience with the Institute, Dr. Marilyn, um, how you know, and also given your training in those other areas, how have your diverse experiences shaped your perspective on health disparities, as well as informed your work at the Institute? Yes, yes. So, um, I, so one of the things, um, the training throughout medical school and so on, I've been fortunate, I didn't think of it at that time, I was being fortunate to be exposed to different uh, ways of treatment, also being exposed to different um, things uh, in, in different countries and how healthcare may be practiced in, in, in different countries. And I think one of the things that I've really appreciated in, in the diversity is that there isn't one thing, like one magic bullet, or there isn't one way of, of treatment. Uh, sometimes in, in some countries, people may move more to something that's natural and natural and natural medicine compared to um, going for our medicine and more chemically based medicines. And so you understand um, also just the difficulties that people have to access care all over the world you know, right. in terms of like access to care is something that that that's that cannot be understated and something that needs to be be promoted in terms of making sure that people get care that's not only equitable care but also care care that that, that is good care and good quality of good quality and so i've um, appreciated some of those things as i've um, been in different systems i've learned more about different cultures and i'm um, being appreciative of, of different cultures i think with the work that we're doing at the arthur ash institute we are in brooklyn new york and you have a host of different cultures and a host of different people and just trying to understand people and, and and regardless of where you are in the world people want to know that you care they want to know that you hear them that you see them and that you do not disrespect them and you and you do not disrespect the cultures from which they come and and because the culture may be different from yours that you do not um disrespect that at all but accept people where they are and and be able to understand their needs because we all have the same needs and, and the core needs and core values that we want um people to know about and and so taking the time to understand people and, and taking the time to listen to people and, and taking the time to give back to people that that's been something that's um salient throughout and and i've become more appreciative of that absolutely it goes back to that that gratitude aspect that you that you mentioned um in the conversation earlier and so when i hear you talk about um just that level of of knowledge that's important for us to be able to show up very respectfully um we have to build up our cultural intelligence we have to get out of our bubbles right we have to learn about you know uh difference and we have to make sure that we are being open um and and helping to practice humility so that when others do educate us about maybe their cultures. We we don't take offense to it, but we we take that information as a gift and we use it to help inform how we may interact um, with others that are part of that community going forward. So that cultural agility, I think, is, is so important. Um, you know, in the few moments that we have left, I think about the fact that so many of us may not directly be into the space of, of medicine, right? Um, we may not be a barber or a hairstylist, um, but we have friends, we have family, we have our own health issues. And so for those who are sitting back and thinking, how can I make a difference in health within my community if I'm not aligned with some of these other very specific examples um, that have entered into today's conversations. What advice would you give to individuals or organizations that are looking to make a difference in, in health within their own communities? 
I think, uh, as you said, getting out of our bubbles, that's like a big, big one, making sure that, that we step out and listen to our communities. If you're, um, if you would like to know what people need and what, and the things that are, that the community may, may want, it's for us to go out, step out in, into the community, go into a barbershop and beauty salon, sit down and talk to, to folks, go into a community-based organization that's, that may be doing something that, that you're interested in, volunteering in, in a community-based organization, doing community events and participating and really getting out of our comfort zone, so to speak, and, and list, taking the time to listen, uh, not going with our preconceived uh, notions and knowledge when we go into the community, but really going in and, and finding out what the community needs and working with them, partnering with the community um, to, to, to understand the needs of the community and, and, and showing up in, and being authentic. Because once we're authentic, uh, people will respond. Once we once we come out there and we're okay, this is I would like to help, and I, and how can I help? As opposed to this is what you need. This those are two different things. So I'm going with an open mind and and going in to learn more about the communities and listening to people. Yes. Openness, continuous learning, you are giving us some really great practical tips. I also will say that many of us are um, aligned with um, different social media platforms. And so as you become educated, use that as a way to share your knowledge with others. Um, and if you're not on social media, then maybe just make sure that part of your conversations with family and friends um, is, is one that is providing awareness and education and being an accountability partner around um, people being um, very intentional about their well-being. Um, I love the idea of, um, of, of volunteering, you know, when we can volunteer with a lot of different organizations that are focused on creating um, educational opportunities for people um, to, to live healthy lifestyles, that is a great way for us to also uh, play a role in, in being able to address health within our local communities. And then just modeling, you know, making sure we're staying on yeah. top of our own yeah. healthcare, right? And, um, and we're leaning into, again, that radical self-care that we talked about earlier. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us, Dr. Frazier. We're so grateful. I want to give you um, the final seconds to close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate. I don't know if you want to plug again the mental health conference that's coming up or if there's anything else that you have a lot of energy around that you want to socialize as we close out. I want to give you that chance to do so now. Okay, thank you so much for having me here today. And I just want people to visit our website to find out more about the work of the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health. But I want you to um, take from this conversation the self-care piece, because Nika, I think that's so, so important that we take care of ourselves and we show up as our best selves, whether it's um, taking care of the, the foods we eat, exercising, just really taking care of ourselves so that we can pour into others. And um, I just want you to remember that, to take time off to just reflect and, and, and as we come to the end of the year, each day gives us a new opportunity to do something different. And so we take each day as it comes and, and, and that you can turn the page, so to speak, in, and have a clean page each day. So I want to just thank you again for, for the forum and thank you for all the work, wonderful work, Nika, that you're doing. Fantastic. Thank you again, Dr. Frazier. Thank you to each of you who have joined this podcast community. If you found this to be helpful, then share it out. Of course, the replay is going to be available this afternoon. We will also will extract the audio and make it available in podcast capacity. And so for those who like to get their content in that manner, make sure you don't keep this to yourself. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to see you again next week. Have a great and safe weekend. Bye-bye.